Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the PR Week, your weekly podcast for everything going on in the worlds of PR and communications. I'm your guest host this week. My name is Frank Washcook. I'm PR Week's executive editor, and I'm joined by a new guest co-host who I would like to introduce to uh, much of PR Week's audience. It's Ewan Larkin. He's PR Week's new reporter, and this is his first time on the PR Week podcast. So welcome, Ewan. Thanks for that introduction, Frank. Happy to make my debut, and nice to meet you, Rebecca. Thank you. You and to give our audience a fun fact about you, uh, you that that maybe they don't know, and maybe you, let's see how many people bring it up when they're pitching you stories. <laughs> a fun fact about me: Well, I was born in the United Arab Emirates in Dubai, and I lived there until I was ten years old. But my parents were actually born in Ireland, so I spent a lot of my time flip-flopping back and forth between Dubai and Ireland growing up until I moved to the U.S. in. 2010, I want to say. Yeah, when I was 10 years old, I believe. And I've been in New Jersey ever since. Wow. Okay. So that's, that's, um, that is quite the mix of cultures between New Jersey, Dubai, and Ireland. So yeah, that's interesting stuff. And listen, you are at ewan.larkin at prweek.com. Ewan is going to be covering corporate communications and all of those things that are associated with it. So drop your pitches in Ewan's email inbox. We have a terrific guest for you this week. It's Rebecca Binney, as she's Director of Marketing and Public Relations at Rayco Media. Rebecca, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Frank. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to diving into this for the next half hour or so, because I, I think this is an area where there's a lot of buzz around, but people don't actually know a lot of the details. And that's Web3, that's Metaverse. So to start out, your LinkedIn account describes you as a metapreneur. So what, what is a metapreneur and, and you know, what do you do all day at, at Rayco? And, and tell us about your job and, and the work you're doing. I like the, the fact that you picked that up. Um, you know, I coined that about two months ago. Probably a good idea to try to trademark that right now, but basically, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's an entrepreneur in the metaverse. Um, when I first learned about it, about Web3 and, this, and the blockchain technology a few years ago, I really spent a lot of time researching it and trying to get to understand it better. And what I've done my entire life is really just launch businesses and try to take them to solve problems for populations around the world, and this is no different. Hence the term, the metapreneur. I thought it was really kind of cool. So that's the idea, you know, is to integrate current businesses and nonprofit organizations around the world into Web3 technology through marketing and public relations strategies. So that's really interesting, and I, I wish you luck with the, the custom office in terms of getting that patent. I'm sure there's a lot of people chasing those. So. <laughs> um, I, I want to just just sort of set the table, so to speak, begin with, how do you define the metaverse or the various metaverses? And, and how do you define Web3? You know, and what are the differences between the two for people who might not be as well versed in that? That's an interesting question. I don't think there is a standard definition today. Everyone's trying to sort of define it in their own terms to make their own you know, sense of it. Um, from my perspective, what we've done is we're essentially right now in a, the Web2 era. We've been in this for about a decade or so. Uh, what we've done is we've come from, you know, an, a time when the Internet was just a download of information, you know, people sitting behind the computer screens. And then we moved into Web2 where it was interactive, where social media became a hype. 
and people could converse and collaborate online easily. And now that we're moving to Web3, this has become a more immersive environment where people are not just hiding behind screens, but they're able to have real life experiences in a virtual realm, um, which gives them you know, a lot of benefits and opportunities to really get to understand brands better, um, get to know each other better, or even forge you know, um, potential relationships that are stronger and more collaborative within work and personal life. So that really is my take on Web3 and the metaverse. The metaverse is still, however, really new. So really, there's so much opportunity to really define it how we want to. We just really got to understand how it's growing right now and what its use case scenarios are. When you work with clients, what what do they want to get out of the metaverse? I mean, do they have goals, so to speak, or are they just kind of like, well, we need to get our feet wet because this is definitely going to become a thing in the future and we better get in earlier. Or are they coming at it with a real strategy? Or maybe that's where you come in and, and help them with the strategy. That's exactly, um, Frank, what I do is to integrate Web 2 into Web 3. I, I, lo- I, I like to say that, you know, I advise on mixed reality solutions so that businesses and brands are not just, you know, trying to dabble in Web3 or the metaverse all of a sudden without knowing what it is. Really what they're doing is they're integrating with the advancements of technology in Web3 so that they can reach their audiences and not leave behind, leave them behind when everybody goes into the metaverse. You know, a long time ago when social media started, everyone was kind of doubting it. No one really um, anticipated how big it would be. You know, a lot of questions around surrounded it. But look at how it's growing now and how brands really rely on social media platforms to market and grow themselves. So, you know, there are a lot of businesses, again, who do not really understand the metaverse or Web3. What we try to do is to slowly guide them in and integrate the strategies so that they do not lose footing in the current Web2 reality as well. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, how does that connect to earned media or to, to PR communications? I, are you doing a lot of uh, pitching of technology outlets, of websites, or is it a lot deeper than that? It, it really is a lot deeper than that. On one hand, as a PR professional that I've been, you know, for almost two decades, uh, we do have to pivot our, our PR strategies because. In Web3 and the metaverse, especially when you're representing brands that are global, we really have to find that voice. As a PR professional, we have to be able to pitch their story so that it doesn't come out jumbled, you know, with everybody still questioning what the metaverse is. The last thing we need is for a PR professional to sound like we don't know what we're talking about. So as a PR person, I think it's important to find the voice of the client and be able to integrate that into our strategies so that the public and the media understands what we're trying to say and what we're trying to do. Um, but where I come from and where I'm sitting from, you know, as my role in Rickle Media is, we actually also advise more on how we can integrate these PR strategies with Web3 and the Metaverse to help, for example, nonprofit organizations and how we can help them raise more funds or help more people through these strategies. So we don't just come in at a, you know, let's write a press release and pitch, but we also come in in a very advisory capacity on the business side um, and where we strategize what we're going to do to take these brands and nonprofits into Web3 to make sure that you know, the world knows about what they're doing and can support their cause or support the brand. 
Now, that's really interesting. Can you give us an example of a brand that you've worked with and what they've tried to do in this space? Um, I think the most interesting one would be the nonprofit. It's a domestic violence um, organization called Unsilence Voices. And what they essentially do is they help survivors, you know, um, around the world get back on their feet to thrive. What we have implemented since we um, started in 2022 is one, we have actually introduced the um, sale of NFTs to raise funds, not just for the organization, but also more importantly is the NFT sales directly benefit the artists who produce the work. And the first one that we're representing is actually an art competition winner that we um, organized in Sierra Leone. And um, so, the, you know, to them, even $500 is a lot of money. So we are we don't want to say we're just giving 10% or 20% of the proceeds like most nonprofit organizations do. What we're actually doing, we're giving them half of the NFT sales. And that would make a very monumental change to their lives and what they can do in Africa. And we intend to carry this process out even further with more artists from um, countries like Africa or other parts of the world. Um, and in addition to that, too, we are actually building at this point, we are in the fundraising stage of looking to build in the metaverse. Um, and I think for many nonprofits, being able to reach more people who need help through this medium, especially when people are far across the world and cannot take a plane to come see you, the metaverse provides an additional avenue for them to reach victims and survivors. That's really interesting stuff. And I'm, I'm glad you talked about the nonprofit angle here, because I think that a lot of the more mainstream media coverage of the metaverse is really focused on things like, now you mentioned that FGs, of course, where you're, you're talking about how they could be used for good in this case. But a lot of it is, you know, how much how much people are spending on metaverse real <laughs> estate and things like exactly. that, right? So, yeah, so yeah. I'm, I'm glad you, you talked to us about that. I, I, think, um, I think what has happened is a lot of us, has mi we've missed the point. The NFTs have been treated like they're designer purses and shoes right. and who collects more wins. But there's so much more to the NFTs. As a PR professional, I think a lot of us need to really understand, you know, what's behind them to do with smart contracts and, you know, how the tokenization can actually help organizations in, in general. Yeah, I... Um... I recently hosted a panel at our healthcare conference, and part of what came up was this excitement in healthcare technology about what the metaverse can be used for uh, in terms of the healthcare world, too. And, um, you know, it's really interesting. And, and I think a lot of companies are just getting their feet wet with, with what it can be useful for in terms of how people interact with their doctors or, or physical therapists or whatever the case is, um, and also just the mental health uses that it can be good for are you are you work do you have any thoughts on the its usefulness in the healthcare space or where are possibilities there absolutely um one of the initiatives that we are spearheading at this point is to actually build um shelters or facilities within the metaverse to provide mental health care services um, like i said you know there's a way where all this technology can help bridge the distances between people or make services more accessible, especially to those in need and who cannot afford it. A lot of people still have their cell phones um, and their laptops, even if they don't have a car or, you know, or don't have a bus ticket. So um, the metaverse really would provide a lot of benefits to healthcare, especially mental health. Um, I actually also did a research piece in this recently, 
And one of the um, ideas behind providing these services in the metaverse is actually that people can, uh, they become more um, because there is a shield or a layer of protection when they're hiding behind these avatars. And because of that mental health treatment, and this is not yet scientifically proven, but it is now in studies that mental health treatment can be more successful quicker when people are more receptive to the treatment options or the availability and accessibility of these treatment options. Um, so that's one aspect of why you know, I think more companies should really, like you said, get their feet wet and try to dabble into how the metaverse can um, speed the accessibility of healthcare up. Tell us a little bit about how the metaverse is going to change the workplace or the virtual workplace or the, the work from home workplace. How do you see these two worlds really connecting in the future? See, if we had this, if this metaverse option blew up two years ago, a lot of people would not have gone into such depressive states or would ha they would not have felt so isolated during the lockdown or the COVID uh, pandemic, for instance, when everybody was stuck at home and they were, you know, everybody was in Zoom calls and Google Hangouts, um, but they couldn't really, they couldn't really immerse themselves in their work environments, for example, through, you know, it's just a, it's just a Zoom call, right? How much can you possibly um, collaborate through that without being in person? The metaverse would have made that substantially different. It would have provided an avenue where um, these avatars could interact and actually almost touch each other in a different reality. And those situations and scenarios in the workplace actually have the same effect on the brain and it actually gives you that same you know endorphin and dopamine release as having in-person meetings and giving people hugs although it will never replace being in person it it can reach a level where it is uh, satisfiable enough so that you know people don't feel like they're so isolated so in a way for the workplace it will increase collaboration a lot you we can now start working with partners around the world, even if we cannot travel to them. We're shortening distances and bridging gaps through the metaverse. And I think with the collaborative platforms, what will happen is we'll see more, a higher level of innovation and productivity with the remote workplace, as opposed to what we've seen with the numerous emails that are coming in and text messages and Zoom calls. You know, it's going to become a lot more immersive for sure. You know, I was doing a roundtable the other day on internal communications, and I think everybody agrees it's become so much more important, uh, especially employee communications since the start of the pandemic. It, so it's already a very complicated subject. I mean, returns, returning to the office can be a very complicated subject for a lot of internal communications heads. Do you think this is going to make it more confusing or do you think it's going to make it easier in a lot of ways? I think it's how you look at it or what you, you know, a lot of people do not like adapting to something that is unknown and uncertain. Um, so that's where the challenge is. I think that it will be years before we can see a high enough adoption rate of Web3 and the metaverse to where the office can function, you know, at its top productivity, like, like they used to before the pandemic. But in a way, it will really help with integrating the remote workforce and those that are back in person in the sense that, you know, I think a lot of us just, we're doing well now, we've gotten used to it, creating this immersive experience that we can collaborate with coworkers and partners and associates would really increase a business's productivity and communication 
but also, you know, in terms of from a PR perspective, you know, we could hold press conferences in the metaverse, which is something that we have been exploring for an upcoming event in October, where we can have guests from all over the world and we can help launch products without anyone actually being there, but they could be, it's almost like a holocast of them in the same room, which Mm. is really exciting. But, you know, that from a PR perspective, now there's so many other options. You know, I used to stand and host press conferences in front of an audience, and now we haven't done that for a while with the pandemic. And so this would really give us that chance to do that once more, but, you know, from the comforts of our home and not having to take these flights or travel, you know, across the country or across the the globe to do that. Yeah, this is really interesting stuff. And I'm looking forward to seeing what brands and agencies really do with this over the next year or two, because the more you're saying, the clearer it is, it's it's imperative for them to get involved with this and to to put the work in. Now, just in general, do do you think the metaverse has a branding problem? Do you think that Facebook rebranding as Meta, for instance, has sort of muddied the waters in terms of people understanding what we're talking about here? Yeah, you know, I think I I might just end up pissing a lot of people off, but um, (laughs) I think there is a huge branding problem. I think the monopolies are still trying to control the situation with, you know, Web3 and the metaverse and blockchain, although it's supposed to be decentralized. Um, the whole idea of Web3 is to give ownership back to the rightful artists, creators, and um, business owners. So, you know, Facebook's branding of Meta was very ideally timed, I would say. Um, very strategic, especially from a PR perspective. But, you know, in, in the whole realm of things, I think people know that they want control and they want that ownership, that level of authenticity and transparency that the blockchain would provide. And the metaverse has been, again, you know, like we said with the NFTs, it's almost like a designer collectible situation where I'm going to buy land just to prove my worth and my value, as opposed to seeing it for what it really is and looking at it from the technology perspective and the masses it could help. For instance, minority groups you know, I'm big, you know, I advocate for diversity and inclusion so much because with Web2, a lot of minority groups um, have been really suppressed. And coming from Singapore, you know, being female, I think I've felt that my fair share of oppression too. So the metaverse really is an opportunity for minority groups to have a voice. And we need to make sure in our line of work that we are encouraging that and promoting an equal say among, you know, everybody through the metaverse and Web3. That's important. And I'm glad you brought that up because I've read a lot of cases for the metaverse and for Web3, but I, I don't think anybody has made the case for how it can help with diversity, equity, and inclusion as much as you have. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Now, here's the question I've been dying to ask you. What do you, what do you how do you respond when people say something cynical like, oh, I'm old enough to remember Second Life and that's not around anymore. So what makes me think this is going to be around for a while? Well, I mean, it's, you have one life, right? We That's what they said about social media. That's <laughs> what they said about true. Instagram and TikTok. And look what's happening. You know, we without these platforms, my job will be half as successful or, you know, efficient as I would be today. So... Sure, you know, we don't know if anything sticks around for a long time, but why not give it a shot? Take, you know, take the time to get to know it, understand it. There's no harm in in learning. Yes, absolutely. 
Rebecca, thanks for joining us today. This is this has been terrific. I'm going to turn things over Thank you. to you and for a few minutes as we just talk about what's the biggest PR and communications stories of the week. And it looks like you and the Yum Brands, which is the parent company uh, of KFC and some other well-known fast food brands, is going to be looking for a new chief communications officer. On the move. Yeah, there's some very interesting news out of Yum Brands. Geraldine Green, who served as the company's global chief communications and public affairs officer, has announced that she's stepping down from the role uh, in June. And with that, she'll also be leaving her role as chairman and CEO of the Young Brands Foundation. This is a big deal. She's been there for 11 years. And as you mentioned, they own some very popular brands such as Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, and KFC. So there'll be a big void left behind for her. But she has announced that she will be staying on as an ESG advisor through the end of the year and that she will be assisting in the search for her successor. Yeah, and it's um, a, some tremendously influential brands. And I think if you look at some of the work that KFC has done over the past couple of years uh, and some of the work Taco Bell has done, you know, really innovative, youthful looking brands. And so it will be interesting to see who they hire and what kind of imprint that her successor will look to leave on the company. Gerlin was also the chair of jury at the 2021 PR Week Awards US. So we'll be looking forward to seeing where she lands next. Rebecca, any any fast food brands, Yum Brands, Taco Bell, Pizza Hut, KFC, or otherwise doing any interesting things in the metaverse or with Web3? Taco Bell was one of the first ones to actually buy Len and the metaverse. I was at that point desperately trying to outbid them. But of course, you know, it goes in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. But they were one of the first ones. It was really interesting to see the bidding process and, um, yeah. you know, watch them acquire that piece of land. So definitely. Fascinating stuff. Uh, we'll stick with food for a minute. And you and if you could tell us a little bit about Subway hiring a new agency as their USAOR. Yeah, absolutely. Subway has named or selected rather uh, Fleischman Hillard as its U.S. public relations agency of record for brand and corporate communications. And what that means is that they'll be, um, you know, assisting broadly in brand comms, but also from a corporate perspective on issues such as corporate narrative and storytelling, crisis management and sustainability efforts. And what I've understood from Subway is that they're hoping that Fleischman can help support the transformation journey that the brand has taken on since the first phase of the Eat Fresh, Refresh campaign last year, which was a campaign that provided 20 menu updates, new ingredients, new subs, and improvements to a better digital and in-restaurant experience. So they're hoping that uh, Fleshman Hillard can help support that journey. Yeah, it's a multi-million dollar account. Interested to see where Fleshman gives them advice, where they help take this brand too, because uh, you know, a subway, like you mentioned, they did this campaign, the Eat Fresh, Refresh campaign. They started it a couple months ago. And, uh, you know, there was there was definitely some skepticism in the mainstream press about this campaign and about Subway. So interested to see where Fleshman helps to take them. All right. Tell us about where the now former White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki is headed next. Yeah, uh, former White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki is joining MSNBC in the fall. Um, and it's a very broad role. She'll be appearing on all of the network's programs across cable and streaming. So it's kind of, she'll be an on-air contributor as well as an analyst um, and the host of her own streaming show, which is currently in development. Um, she's also set to appear on NBC and MSNBC primetime special edition programming during the midterm elections and during the 2024 presidential election. Um, and it's an interesting, it's kind of an interesting move. It seems that like we were talking a little bit about, you know, technology, how it's advanced over the past few years and stuff. These streaming platforms now have given these, these platforms like MSNBC 
they, they've got license now to be able to kind of poach this top talent and say, hey, we'll give you your own show that's streaming on a, its own platform. And they've got they've got bases in Peacock and NBC News now. So really interesting news. And it'll be interesting to see how it plays out when she when she officially comes on board in the fall. And I think a lot of people have their eye on this after the very quick downfall of CNN Plus. So it will be interesting to see how NBC News and Peacock really work to differentiate what they are doing from what CNN did. So looking forward to that. I, th- I think she will be a, a very good host and a very good commentator, just, just given how her press conferences were. I'd like I, to see really um, what kind of audience she would garner from this show. You know, yeah. after her role at the White House, I really would, it would be interesting to see the amount of support that she could rally. So Rebecca, you mentioned before holding press conferences in the mm-hmm. metaverse. Do you, do you see an opportunity for news brands and, and, and media outlets as well in the metaverse? And, and what do you think they might be? At some point, media outlets, especially for news, will have to pivot into the metaverse. It uh, may not be as soon as we'd like to see it, although I I think that it will be essential. If the masses are moving into that space and you want to put that message across, I think that it will be something that is mandatory for many of the news outlets and the journalists to really try to capture the right audience. But what would be interesting to see is that imagine if the news outlets are going to be so much more interactive than just interviews to people sitting across the room. Demos can can be facilitated. Experiences basically are created in the metaverse and not just me watching television and trying to download the information that is being told. So that would be really fascinating to see that happen. And I'm just, you know, I'm wondering which news outlet would be the first to jump on the bandwagon for that one. Yeah, keeping an eye on that too. Keeping an Mm -hmm. eye on that too, for sure. Listen, Rebecca, thanks for joining us. This has been a terrific show and really interesting and really informative. Ewan, thanks for coming on as well. Hope you enjoyed your first podcast. I'm going to give you one shameless plug before we we end the show, and that's that you can still get tickets for our Women of Distinction event next month in New York City. So visit our website if you are interested in that. But uh, this is all the time we have for this week's show. Again, Rebecca, Ewan, thanks for joining us, and we will see you next week on the PR Week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the PR Week. To find more episodes, visit PRWeek.com.